Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Demetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. Welcome to the Ask a CEO show. My name is Greg Demetrio. I'll be your host today. Our show takes a, a look at the journey of CEOs from around the globe on how they got to the C-suite and what it's like running their companies every day. My day job is the CEO of Ray Gregory Communications, which is an integrated marketing company here in New York. But my favorite job is Ask a CEO Interviews. So today we have a very special guest coming to us from London, Matisse Seth, who runs Reddington. Reddington is a provider of financial solutions, advice, software for major institutions in the UK. His company, over 200 employees, is on a quest to make 100 million people financially secure. So welcome to the show, Matisse. Thanks so much, Craig. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure talking talking to you all the way in the UK, which is, I just just love that fact about being able to do this online because our reach is so much broader. We don't have to bring people into the studio. We don't have to have camera guys. We don't have to have sound guys. And it's really an easy, comfortable, more intimate conversation. So our audience is a mix of CEOs and those on their way to the C-suite, right? Their own journey. So like to bring the CEOs to them because every time I talk to a CEO, I learn something and I come out with a pearl that many times I'll incorporate in how I do business. So there's two main areas of our, that our audience are interested in, your background and your journey to where you are today and how you manage on a day-to-day basis. Perhaps we can take those one at a time. Can you give us a little bit about your personal bio? Uh, My parents are immigrants into the UK from Africa. Uh, They were born in Kenya and their parents in turn came from India. So all my ancestors originate from Gujarat in India. So I was born in the north of England in in Bolton near Manchester um, and um, a town that's been made famous by Dynamo the magician, uh, if you've come across him. But uh, other than that, it's still a town with cobblestone streets. And um, uh, that's where I grew up. We, um, my father had never been to India. And so when I was about uh, four years old, we took a holiday to India and we decided to live there because um, he loved it so much. So we, I, I had my primary schooling kick off in India for a few years and we only returned back when I was about eight um, to because my grandfather wasn't well and and then and sadly died. Um, so we then stayed stayed here in the UK from there. So I did all of my secondary schooling in in Crawley near Gatwick Airport. Um, so that was an, a, a real immigrant town. There was a lot of jobs and both my parents worked double shifts, you know, four days in one company and another four days in another um, in order to be able to, to make ends meet. And there was a lot of 
employment in that town uh, by virtue of this new airport. So that's where I went. And I went to school there with many other kind of immigrant children and families, um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a re reasonable, um, a reasonably kind of poor um, kind of area and, 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 and background. But I think throughout that period, I was very rich in terms of the, the kind of love and support and encouragement I had from my parents, though they didn't have a lot of time on their hands. Um, I was an only child and I, had, I got a lot of time with, you know, with my books. I spent a huge amount of my time growing up reading. Um, I didn't have a computer. Some of my friends had computers and I felt very jealous that they did. But uh, I spent all of my time kind of in my teens and otherwise reading um, voraciously and learning through that. And also my social skills, whilst in some ways stunted because I didn't have any siblings and I didn't have many other young people my age that I hung out with. Um, you know, whenever we, my parents were home, they would often entertain other adults. So I got used to talking to other adults and having conversation with other adults, um, you know, from a very, very young age. Um, so that was kind of all of my kind of upbringing and, and background. If I kind of take you through my bio from there, um, at the age of, um, kind of 16, 17, uh, I decided I'd fallen into some bad company um, and, you know, had in the desire to fit in and belong and be liked, um, you know, I, I got into some antisocial behavior and, uh, and, and uh, drinking and, and kind of everything else. And I, I decided at the age of, I think it was 17 on the, my 17th birthday that I was no longer gonna drink alcohol um, and I was just going to get my head down and focus on my grades um, and, you know, be recognized that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a victim of my circumstances. Uh, if, uh, I, I'm the maker of my own destiny by the choices I, I make. And it was a real moment of clarity for me. Was there something that prompted you to do that? Did you get scared of, of behavior you saw in yourself? I, I did. I, I, I mean, um, as long as my grades were fine, my parents hadn't taken much notice, if I'm honest. But at 17, my grades slipped and I was starting to show that, you know, that, that, that it was having an effect on my grades and my future. And I think my parents got very concerned at that stage and I was concerned about disappointing them. Again, when you're the son of an immigrant uh, and immigrant parents, there's a lot of responsibilities sit on your shoulders. Uh, they were very clear that I was their pension. And so... Uh, um, Self-interest in betting you correctly, right? So that's, <laughs> that's very interesting because many of us start with different backgrounds, different upbringings. I mean, the, the, probably the best thing you did was get involved with your books when you were young, right? Mom and dad were working their heart out to make sure you were good. Hey, you were okay. And then you, you, you found that you saw the light and, and turned yourself around. So when you show up at work, what's your day like at Reading? Obviously days are very virtual at the moment, but in, in some senses, um, my day doesn't change that much. So I tend to begin my day with, my, my day begins at 5 a.m. Um, I try really hard to not look at my emails or Teams messages at 5 a.m. Uh, have a routine with my wife. So we do a bit of yoga 
uh, a bit of exercise, a bit of mindfulness, and we pray together. That's before my three children wake up, usually around 6, 6.30. And then it's all chaos, all, all mayhem as we get them ready for school. And then, and then usually I start work at about eight o'clock. So my first half an hour or so is really planning the day, looking at my meetings ahead, moving anything around that doesn't make sense, uh, making sure I've got enough time and the right agenda with the right people. Uh, my meetings tend to start. I tend to have between 10 and 15 meetings a day. Uh, starting from about 8.30 in the morning, usually till about 6.30 in the evening. That, that, yeah. alone, is, that alone is mentally exhausting for me. I'm already tired. I'm going to go take a <laughs> nap now. 10 15. Hey, my God. You have a lot of stamina. <laughs> so listen, what's the one thing? I mean, obviously, that's a great start of the day that you have. It's well thought out. You're together. Your family is most important. You get your little exercising, you do your yoga, your mindfulness, you get your head straight. Wow, that's terrific. I mean, I wish I was that disciplined. I get up, <laughs> I get my coffee, and I look at my emails, you know, <laughs> and then I get in. Right? So this is actually this is actually a blessing for me. I love talking to CEOs. My day job is my day job. It's a marketing communication company. We do all kinds of marketing communication. But my love is talking to you guys because you bring so much to the table. So most of you, you know, I listen, so I was looking a little, doing a little research. And you guys have a very bold goal to make 100 million people financially secure. How did you come up with that concept? <laughs> um, when I became CEO four and a half years ago, um, I you know, had inherited a business from the two founders of the company, Robert Gardner and David Konote Ahulu. Um, who are very um, socially orientated, found, you know, founders, entrepreneurs. So whilst they built a commercial organization, it was crystal clear that they wanted to be a force for good. But I felt that as we moved forward from a founder-run business to a management-run business, we needed to clearly codify this. So that was as much about the values and behaviors that I expected in the business and that I expected people to hold me accountable to but also being crystal clear about we are a company that hires people that not only want to make money, not only want to, you know, do fulfilling work, but want to leave a legacy, want to have an impact. And I think as a group of financiers and people in the financial advisory and software space, I don't think we've done ourselves a, a, a good service. And I don't think we've, we've always acted in the end customers and beneficiaries best interests. Um, but I knew that there was a group of people here who absolutely had their customers and their end beneficiaries interests at heart. And I felt that a mission like this really captured that well. So at the time we were serving 1 million uh, end beneficiaries. <clears throat> and I felt that through the work that we did in closing the pension fund gaps, in designing more institutional um, funds and platforms and using our software to improve the governance that our clients use. Um, we wanted to go beyond the UK and the UK's population is 60 million. Um, and so really the, the right ballpark position seemed to be 100 million. Uh, so that's kind of how we came at it uh, with a real clear sense of we're not just working with the largest institutions in the UK and hopefully one day the world, uh, but we're helping be truth tellers to them 
and helping them be better equipped and smarter to, to look after the interests of their end beneficiaries. That's the individual who's saved up for their whole life and career. That's the individual who's retiring and hoping they'll get the pension they've been promised. They're the people really that we want to use our knowledge, skills and experience to help. Uh, where do I send my money? Because it's <laughs> so, so let me ask you a question. That's a very lofty position to take. How do you maintain that going forward on a day to day? I think it forms a part of, so when we sit down to look at our strategy at the start of each year, um, it, it's a big part of that to say, and, and I think holds us to account to say, is what we're doing big enough? Does it have enough impact? And then it flows all the way through into the day-to-day -day in terms of the kinds of people we hire, that we're hiring people who are generous, um, who are givers, who want to have an impact, who are team players, who want to make sure that they're contributing and not just taking from society. So it affects at the micro, every hire we make, all the way to the big strategic decisions that we make about what we will and won't do. That's terrific. That's really good. It's, it's, it, it, you've infiltrated that into the whole company <laughs> mindset. So that, that's a goal that most CEOs stumble across. They have it up here, but how do they translate it to the crew, right? So you seem to have done that. So thank you so much for now. We, were, we need to take a little commercial to pay some bills and uh, we'll be back in a moment. The Ask a CEO Show is brought to you by Lorraine Gregory Communications. Lorraine Gregory is an award-winning agency for digital and traditional advertising. Helping clients' campaigns succeed, they have been telling personal and brand stories for more than 30 years. The agency with a difference, providing strategy, planning, design, and production, including printing, direct mail, and video production. They are your one-stop marketing partner. Check them out today at LorraineGregory.com. And we're back. Thank you for waiting. All right, so now we have a CEO here who's got a hundred million people goal, right? For his company to provide uh, solutions for their financial issues. And, and he works for many of the big uh, institutions in the UK. So today the issues of culture, diversity and inclusion are at the forefront. How have you addressed that in your organization? So the founders did a pretty good job to start with. They came um, with a view that different minds can come together to find better answers. Um, and so I inherited a team um, of people who genuinely, I'd say, had diversity of thought and cognitive diversity. Uh, but in practice, they didn't necessarily represent that through the social backgrounds they came from or indeed for, in terms of gender or race. So a big part of my, um, my communication when I became CEO and our strategy since then has been to really make sure that we're not only improving our diversity and the culture, the, an inclusive culture in which that diversity can perform um, uh, from a cognitive um, diversity and a better results perspective, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, and so a really big effort has gone into hiring more women into the organization. We ran a successful pilot of, of women returners, uh, women who had gaps on their CVs, uh, who joined us um, and who we hired explicitly for a couple of years. That's now become uh, a, an ongoing route through which we make our permanent hires. We have 
um, <clears throat> added more senior women into our management team. Uh, we hired a female chair of our board. Um, we have been able to make sure that our remuneration committee is equally balanced between male and female voices, between extroverts and introverts, um, and, and also in terms of race, so that when we're paying and promoting and considering the performance of our colleagues, we're able to do that in as, as unbiased, as fair a way as we can. So there's been a real systematic effort from the entry level all the way through to pay and promotions through to the senior most ranks of the business in designing a company that is absolutely embracing an inclusive culture in which people can be treated fairly and can expect to be rewarded for their contributions. Yes, that's just so impressive. So impressive that you've thought it all the way through, you've implemented it, you've institutionalized it. Because people are floundering now because it's such a big issue, this whole diversity, inclusion, et cetera, right? So it, it's very um, heartfelt that I say this to you, that congratulations, you did a great job. I don't want to accept those congratulations on the basis that it's something, if we're honest, you've got to always be working at. Um, and you're never really done on, 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 on culture you're never really done on inclusion. It's something you've constantly got to be willing to take honest feedback on and continue to improve on. And, and that's what I'm really proud of when I look at the firm and the leadership team we have in place, that they, 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 they don't stand still, they don't get complacent with where we are, but they're constantly pushing forward. But it is possible. I hope we're an example to those other CEOs and leadership teams that you can build and can um, make that transformation. I'm still gonna say well done. So <laughs> what's the future of Reddington? Where are you going to go from here? So we're, we're pretty excited about the future. As I said before, we largely began as a investment consultancy business to the largest institutions in the UK. So that's pension funds, wealth managers, insurance companies, and the like. Um, over the last few years, we've been able to demonstrate that we can take the same kind of advice the same types of fund solutions, as well as the same software to institutions elsewhere in the world. So right now, as we look forward, we're looking at Europe and we have a, a, a team that's starting out in Germany that's going to be exploring that market and to see if we can bring our unique recipe of, of kind of securing and helping institutions in a very disciplined way deliver to their end beneficiaries, uh, starting out in Germany and the Germanics. Uh, and we also have a team in China, uh, which is kind of our center for Asia, as we look at China and the wider market there, um, again, in terms of how we help um, a market like China um, build an institutionalized and a stable uh, kind of financial um, economy for its growing and future middle class. Yeah, that's a very ambitious undertaking, quite frankly. What do you see the timeline to really getting a hold and starting to develop the markets there? What are you, what are you looking at as a timeline? We're looking at the next five years. Five. Yeah, that's about what I was, I was going to say five to 10, because they're just such big asks, right? So, okay, so we're, 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 I've got a lot of your time. I'm going to try and get you a couple more questions and then I'll let you get back to your 10 to 15 meetings today. What is the <laughs> one thing? What is the one thing? 
that motivates you every single day to get up and get to work and get going? What motivates you? Why do you do it? Um, I think um, I think it was Clay Christensen that said management is one of the most noble professions because you get the opportunity to serve people every day. And um, for me, it's a real privilege. I learn, I get up to learn. Um, and every single day I learn, I work with an amazing group of people who really care about each other, who care about me and my shareholders, who care about the end clients and, and beneficiaries we're working for. And they go out of their way for them. And I learn so much from that. I get a lot of challenge. I get a lot of pushback. I get a lot of feedback and um, that really motivates me. Um, I've grown a lot over the last couple of decades and I know there's plenty more growth and learning left in me. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. So parting shot here. What is your advice to fellow CEOs and those that are aspiring to the C-suite? Is there something that you would like to tell them that's one of your keys? <laughs> uh, when I look back at the, my journey, uh, I definitely ask, uh, encourage them to take a look at my blog because I actually spent time journaling my account of becoming CEO. So there's, you know, my first day, my first week, my first hundred days, my first year, uh, really just so that I could go back and look at, you know, how, what my mindset was at those times. So I would encourage anybody to take a look at my blog and maybe you could include that in the, in the, in the show notes after. But if I was to pick out one or two things, I'd say there is no right way of right or wrong way of doing CEO. And, um, you know, I was often told growing up and in my early stage of the career that you're too nice to be a CEO. CEOs have to be able to, to, to you know, to be, to, to, to be uh, make difficult decisions and not be very nice. And I, I disagreed. I, I can't see why you can't treat people with dignity and why you can't care. Uh, and if anything, we're living in a world where we need to be able to, to care, not just for our shareholders, but for our clients, for our employees, for our communities. And that's what's being asked of us. So I think there's a real dawn of a new generation of CEO who wears his, heart, his or her heart on their sleeve and who is willing to fail, willing to make mistakes, willing to learn. Um, and I think as long as you're willing to take honest feedback, to sincerely try your best, and to get better every day uh, and to have your loyalties with the people you serve uh, rather than to yourself. I think you can be a great CEO and the kind of CEO that our world is asking of our companies and our corporates and our leaders today. And so I think it's a really exciting time. I think we're gonna see a real transformation and it relies on that. So I knew that I wasn't bringing any experience to the role I was bringing a heart, I was bringing my soul, I was bringing my conscience, my values, and a real commitment to learning. And I'm learning more about this and getting better at it every day. I, I always say that uh, you need to show up every day, you need to work as hard as you can, and you're only responsible for the effort. The result will take care of itself. And I think that just dovetails with what you just said. You bring what you have, Listen, I don't have a college education, and I run a 35-person marketing agency here in New York, and we've done so for almost 30 years. So I don't know where that came from, but all I know is I showed up every day, and every day I said failure was not an option today. And it just dovetails exactly with what you said. 
So I appreciate that. That's really, see, my lessons have come from you guys. It doesn't come from up here. It comes from you guys. <laughs> so I appreciate that a lot. I mean, I'm verified. I'm good now. I'm going to go home and take a nap. <laughs> so anyhow, so I thank you so much for being on the show. I'd like to give you the floor and let you tell the people where they can get a hold of you or your company to get more information. I definitely want you to mention that blog, the journal blog, so that people can find it readily, okay? Sure, thanks, Greg. The, the blog is very easy. It's just my name, so miteshsheth.com, M-I-T-E-S-H-S-H-E-T-H.com. So that's the blog. Um, and if you want to know more about the company, it's Reddington, R-E-D-I-N-G-T-O-N, reddington.co.uk. Um, and yeah, we'd love, love to hear from you and to hear your experiences. Well, I'd like to be able to keep in touch with you, get some more of your pearls uh, and, and probably share some of my miseries so that you can help me. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you so much for, the sh for coming on the show. I much appreciate it. Um, I hope everything stays well. I hope you stay away from COVID uh, and that we get back to something that looks like normal. So thank you, Patricia. Okay, so that's it for today. I hope you guys picked up something from this great, great guest. His company is Reddington, and they're out of London, uh, England. So I'd like, you to, I'd like to ask you all, if you appreciated the show, if you liked it at all, you can find us on the YouTube channel, Greg's Corner Office. You can find us on my company's website, LorraineGregoryCommunication.com or Gregscorneroffice.com. And they're all available. The podcast is on all of streaming platforms. So I ask you to subscribe, like, and share as, as widely as possible. So thank you all. See you next time. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.